0: let me hit you with a little scenario here. You've got your synth all patched up for nice live performance, but you can't get your case, you know, you can't get the lid put back on because it's just so, it's just so tightly patched. Or let's say you don't have a lid, but it's kind of sprinkling outside. Well, that's a nerve-wracking situation. You're gonna be like, hey, can I use your sweatshirt? But but they're gonna be like, I'm using my sweatshirt because it's raining outside. Well, what are you gonna do? Well, here's what you should do. You should go to ModBang.com to learn more about their EuroRack covers. They have handmade sport dust covers for 6 and 7U, 104 HP modular synthesizers. Carefully crafted from highly durable and water-resistant ripstop nylon. Designed with the great outdoors in mind for those who crave nature and complex waveforms. Embedded with stretch strap cord to grip your synthesizer when the wind picks up. They come in three colors, yellow, stealth black, and modbang Bang Blue. Let's say you're a little bit more of a form over function person, a little more into the aesthetics. Well, go check out their two limited edition cotton dust covers that still have the ripcord. One is called Bloom, and one is called Zone. And I'd describe what they look like, but you just got to see them for yourself. Go to ModBang.com to learn more about these dust covers and their glow-in-the-dark cables. That's ModBang.com. As always, thank you to Lisa Belladonna for this tasty jam. Pod Mod Mods, welcome back to another episode of Podular Modcast halloween's over did you have a have a fun one um i had i had a pretty fun like week and a half of halloween um did a live scoring of nosferatu with uh john and michael from bleeps and loops and then josh Limanjaya from uh modular seattle and it was well received it was pretty fun also, if you didn't notice, uh, there was a bonus episode last week for Halloween. I did uh, a reading of HP Lovecraft's From Beyond, and then I scored it. Um, and it took a, it took a lot <laughs> of work to do that, and uh, it, turned out, it turned out pretty good for doing it in just uh, you know a few days. Um, but it's something that I've, I've wanted to try for a long time, and I want to do more of. Uh, so yeah, if that sounds at all interesting, please go check that out. There's uh, also a version on YouTube. Um, what else? Let's talk about this really quick. We cannot start decorating for nor listening to Christmas music yet. It's too early. You can't start that until the day after Thanksgiving. And I know you don't come here for, for politics and I'm so sorry it's it's political enough out there in the in this nasty world, and maybe you come to Podmod to get away from that. But I had to say it. And while I'm on the subject of just stuff that I I just gotta say, if you are walking across the street and you have the little the little green guy that's saying like walk, and then somebody in a car is trying to make the right hand turn, but they can't turn until you are across the street, just 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 put a little pep in your step. Give them a little bit of a jog, and it's not about them getting to their destination two seconds faster because of that little jog. Here is what it's about: it's it's about just being a human with other humans. Like, hey, we're in this together. You give them a little jog, a little pep. Okay, cool. I appreciated that. So now that person's driving down the road, and. Somebody say they're on the freeway, and then an exit's coming up, and somebody screwed up and didn't get into the the right-hand lane soon enough. You know, honest mistake, and they're trying to get in, but it's it's jam-packed. Because that person put a little pep in their step earlier, maybe you're inclined to just slow down a little bit and let that person in so they can get off the exit that they need to get into. And then let's say that that person who got off the exit when they needed to get off the exit. They were right on the fence. They were going to maybe go to the SPCA and adopt a dog, you know, a rescue dog. And, and, and it was your letting them in that convinced them that they should go adopt that dog. So basically what I'm trying to say is if, if you just give it a little jog across the street, you might be saving a puppy's life. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. Um, I want to do some shout outs to some recent patreon subscribers uh i was hoping to get to 100 by the end of october and i did and as the great mother universe giveth she also taketh away i had someone delete (laughs) a pledge so i'm back down to 99 but i got to see that sweet sweet 100 for a moment. Um, so I want to do some shout-outs. Effix Music, E F F I K-S Music. Um, they want me to shout out their YouTube channel, so please go check out Effix Music on YouTube. Thank you to Kyle Kwood, Bryce Poole, Bart Smits, George Hans, Mo Modect, M O D E K-T, Nick Gatos, Carl Benedict, and then a super extra cool thank you to eric schlappy and andreas tyrodemos for joining at the 15 dollar a month level that just blows my mind that people want to help me out every month and yes so thank you so so very much if you would like to help support the show you can go to patreon.com forward slash Podular modcast um my new album was supposed to have been out for a while now and um tape. Tape manufacturing has been really hard for a bunch of labels out there because I think it's called Ferrite. There's just there's just been a massive shortage, so a lot of releases have been delayed, but my, my release music to come down to should be coming out within the next few weeks. So uh, people have been asking me about that. There's a little update. It is really out of my hands. It's out of the label's hands. It's just about uh, you know the, the supply of the stuff we need. So I want to thank uh, Flag Day Recordings for for being so cool with me and patient. And uh, yeah, go, ch- go check them out because they're releasing stuff kind of quickfire right now because they, they just got stocked up on their, their tapes. So um, yeah, Flag Day flagdayrecordings.bandcamp.com. We are going to get into this chat with Richard from Pittsburgh Modular. So nice to have him back on the show. Um, but before we do that, I just want to say go check out Woodworks.com to learn more about the amazing handcrafted one-of-a-kind cases that Eric makes down there in San Francisco and also go to patchworks.com p-a-t-c-h-w-e-r-k-s.com we're gonna listen to a quick demo and get into this episode Let's take a look at Chainsaw, the Stereo Super Oscillator from Acid Rain Technology. I love this oscillator. I'm having a lot of fun with it. It is a powerful digital oscillator designed to bring polyphony to your rack in a compact and playable interface. It features three voices of seven waves with individual pitch control per voice. Um, All waves morph from Super Saw to Super Square, which is a lot of fun, and you're going to hear that in a moment. So Chainsaw's root frequency is controlled by an encoder where each click of the encoder is uh, one semitone so that's pretty nice for tuning it's very very easy to tune Uh, and then if you click the encoder down you can get to a fine tune and then let's say you screwed that all up and you don't like it you can hold down the encoder for two seconds and it'll bring you down to a c1 so what's really cool about this is, uh, as I mentioned before, the Super Saw to Super Square. Let's there's a potentiometer right now on that Super Saw. Let's go to Super Square and back. Of course, this is CV controllable. But this right here might be my favorite uh, aspect of the the sound of Chainsaw. It's the the detune knob. There's a potentiometer that controls the the detuning of each of the seven waves per voice within Chainsaw, three up and three down, with one always at the root pitch. Um, At the minimum value, which you're hearing right now, uh, the waves are in perfect unison, and then uh, spread shifts them apart in pitch along a unique curve. So let's turn the spread knob. Let's just throw an LFO in there for fun really quick. That's a sign, let's put a square in there. Okay, now let's really get into it. I have got three volt per octave inputs on this here little oscillator. Let's put a sequence into one. And then let's put one into the second one. And then into the third. And what you're hearing right now is uh, just straight out of the stereo inputs into a mixer, so there's no effects or anything. Let's see what this sounds like when we actually try to doctor it up into a patch. so this patch we're about to listen to is one of the most melodic things I've ever made, um, on my modular system. I really, really like it. Um, and it was very, very easy for me to access this, this part of my brain to get this melody out with chainsaw. I've had a really hard time with actual song structure and intent behind, uh, melodic stuff. And I don't know, there's something about this oscillator that, that really gels with my brain. So, uh, yeah, let's just listen to this for a few minutes. So this whole melodic this whole patch actually other than the drums is coming from chainsaw from a 4HP module. It's being spread out to different VCAs and going into different effects, but if you're if you're looking for economy, and and raw power, than Chainsaw is the oscillator for you. There's so much more we can do with it, and we're going to do that in a future demo. But I just wanted to show you this uh, lovely melodic side. Go to acidraintechnology.com to learn more about Chainsaw and their other fine products. It's good to have you back. You were last on in February, um, so it hasn't quite been a year. Um, but when you were last on, you had just recently busted your leg pretty bad was it their femur both both my leg was
1: dangling by a thread
0: <laughs> and you're um you've pretty much recovered so far i mean obviously you're still working it out but it's you're, you're back mobile and everything
1: yeah it, and fortunately i'm actually uh Due to some intensive physical therapy, I'm actually my leg is stronger now than it was before I broke it. So, oh wow, uh, I've I've been mobile for several months now. Uh, I sort of been mobile since um, I was in Berlin. That was sort of the the week after I was able to walk, and since then I've been
0: trying real hard to uh, get as healthy as I can. Right on. Well, I'm glad to hear that because it sounded like a pretty. Pretty nasty break there. Um, And how much did that really, did that affect your, I mean, you guys have got, I mean, what we're going to talk about today is a pretty big deal. So you got a lot of stuff done still. um, But how much of a hindrance was it?
1: Well, it was, it was was terrible because I couldn't focus on anything for three or four months, really, you know, I could work, but it would be, I could work for maybe an hour and then I, I had to stop and... You know, I ended up watching a lot of YouTube and that kind of thing. So it was <laughs> it was a big setback. Um, when I was programming the touch controller, the original firmware for the touch controller, uh, I was still on painkillers and still at the hospital working oh, on geez. it. And so, you know, you get home and a and a and a couple weeks later, you go start going over the code and you start testing it out because I didn't even have one with me at the hospital. Obviously, I was just sort of writing the code based on what I uh-huh. thought it was going to be doing. And you realize, wow, a lot of this stuff is pretty out there. And I was not clear of mind when I was writing this.
0: <laughs> oh, man, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's kind of a funny story. Um, yeah, I was, I was actually going to ask if you got any extra inspiration from, from the good stuff that they probably gave you for that. But it sounds like it was maybe detrimental. Yeah, no, it was, it was terrible. I, I
1: wouldn't wish this experience, there's no upside to this at all. <laughs> um, my goal was to get off the pain medication as quickly as possible because I'm terrified of that stuff. Yeah. And so is, I was at the hospital for about a week and a half or so. And then when I came home from the hospital, all I was on was Tylenol and which again, you know, because it hurt. So I couldn't really do anything for a long time just sort of sit around. I would have moments where I had an hour or two where I could function kind of, but being in a wheelchair and really not able to help myself too much. I was sort of at the mercy of my wife and my friends and family. Yeah. Uh, So we, we did have a long period this year where I, we just didn't, you know, I didn't do any work. So the guys at the shop did, did a great job of keeping everything shipping and keeping everything running on a day to day basis. But the sort of design side of it, shut down for a while as I, as I healed up. Um, fortunately now we are back in it and Michael and I are making some great strides on some really interesting things.
0: Yeah. Um, so was the voltage research laboratory, something that you were, um, in the, you know, was that in the works the last time we were talking or is that something that kind of, I mean, it's, it's going to be shipping soon. So it's, it's obviously been around for a bit. It was in the works uh, when, when I spoke to you
1: last. I think I had a, pro- the, a prototype on my desk as we talked last time. Uh-huh. Uh, a, a project like that isn't something you sort of pop up with. It, it, it was a long, long, hard journey to get there. It, it, because, you know, fortunately in the modular world, you can sort of work on it piece by piece. But the Voltage Lab itself is is really the culmination of several years' work, and it's and it's sort of evolved over time and, and we finally announced it and released it once we were happy with it, but it's, it's been an ongoing project.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you uh, just outline what, what, what exactly that is? Cause it's a pretty unique uh, instrument just for those who don't know.
1: The voltage lab is sort of our, we came up with this idea of organic synthesis and, and the idea behind organic synthesis was we wanted to take analog sounds away from the geometric shapes that you're typically associated with it. You know, the, the square, the saw, the sign, the triangle, and they, they all sound great, but they've been done so many times and they, and, and I feel like there's a, there's a, a huge market with it. It's such great products out there. We wanted to do something different. Analog is our thing. So we said, well, we need to make analog sound different. We need to make it sound natural. Uh, we need to make it sound more organic. You know, unfortunately, the English language, there's only so many words you can use to describe this type of stuff. So we sort of doubled down on, well, organic, we're describing our products anyway it, that way. Let's, let's really make it feel like the Voltage Lab, if you hear it, could be playing in the room next to you as a live instrument and not necessarily something pumped out of speakers. So that was our goal all along. And, and we had this goal when we started designing the microvolts and mm-hmm. the microvolt was a step in that direction. Um, as far as the idea and even with, um, the primary oscillator, the idea of cascading wave folders and wa- cascading wave shapers to create different timbres and different harmonics from these basic waveforms and take analog synthesis in a direction that it hasn't gone before. Uh, we feel, we really feel like our goal in this modular, excuse me, our goal in this <laughs> modular world, and in uh, our little niche of synthesis in general, is really to push the boundaries of what you can do sonically with analog. It's what mm. we're interested in, and it, it seems to be what what we're best at. So the Voltage Lab is sort of the culmination of all these technologies we've developed over the years. And it really does give us that sound that we heard in our head a few years ago that we've sort of pushed towards the idea that, you know, if you want to hear the sound of a guitar, it's in there. If you want to hear the sound of a bass, it's in there. You want a stringed instrument, it's in there. If you just want to hear the sound of wind or the echoes, uh, the sound of a room, you know, you can find it in there and it's it 's a really special and a really pleasing instrument for me because it it does it scratches that itch and, and I can I get tingles when I talk about it, and I tingles when I play with it <laughs> because it really does sound like nothing else and it 's hard to convey that um, by talking about it or by showing pictures of it because if you see a picture of it, it looks like yeah it 's a modular synthesizer it may be a complicated instrument, but you know you don 't get the sound out of it, which is why when we first started teasing it instead of showing the instrument we just did audio demos and we did audio demos with sort of um, old nature documentaries in the background, but it worked because the point was we wanted people to judge the instrument based on what it sounded like and really hear that this thing has a very unique voice. And that we felt once we had that point made, then we could reveal the instrument and start talking about sort of the insides of it a little bit and explain how it does what it does. But it was very important to us for people to hear it first Mm-hmm. so they could they could get that okay this isn't this isn't a standard subtractive synth they're doing something special here
0: okay, yeah, those videos that you were rolling out i I loved how you did that because they looked and sounded amazing, but it was also kind of mysterious it was like what is what is this thing that's happening like what like you know un, unless you really like started diving deep and asking questions just at face value those things were were very um i don't know it worked they 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 hooked me um, yeah and, there was uh, there was two
1: reasons for that. One was certainly the mystery, you know, and it's fun to tease things. And, it, you know, the people that are sort of into Pittsburgh modular gear, it's, it's fun to get them excited about a new product. It, at the same time, the day we had started to film and video those and do the audio for those, uh, the panels came in and they were just awful. So we had to send the panels back. So we, we didn't have anything to show anyway. We had our prototype plastic panel that we cut on our little carving machine, and that was mm-hmm. it. So we couldn't have showed it even if we wanted to. So
0: it, it sort of worked both ways. Okay, yeah. It's um well and it was cool when you finally did reveal what it looked like because it, it it's weird because it going back to like you're using like old like 70s nature footage, you know, that definitely had like this vintage look to it and and somehow this thing kind of has a a cool 70s look to it. Um this like when you have it stand alone. Now, is it is it it's not like the microvolt in that. It's just like you can take that stuff out and put it in a regular rack out of the rack that you have it in. Or is it is it just a standalone like the microvolt?
1: No, this one's all your rack. And it's it's in a your rack enclosure um, with a, a really nice, powerful your rack power supply in there. It, the Voltage Lab itself is a 48 HP module. It's the same size as our SV1. It fits in the black box case that we have. Um, that's an option you can get if you order one. Um, the touch controller, standard rack touch controller. So it's we wanted this this instrument felt modular from the beginning, and and we wanted to design it that way.
0: Okay, and um, I want to talk about the controller a little bit. Can you just what are, what are the ins and outs of that thing? It looks pretty. It looks like a lot of fun to play.
1: Yeah, it was it was desi- it was uh, sort of inspired by the idea of the five-step sequencer that, that Buchla has had in the past in various forms. And, and I wanted to sort of riff on that a little bit. We, I wanted something that didn't have a traditional chromatic keyboard on it. Something that would inspire people to maybe approach it differently. Um, and give them something that they didn't feel like, okay, I need to play everything in C or, you know, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. So the idea, you know, and we've done touch controllers in the past with our KB1, but it, it worked well, but it was a chromatic style. So I, I'd i been working on the capacitive touch, and I felt that I had a, a better capacitive touch uh, circuit at this point and better software for it. So it was really just putting those together, the idea of two five-pad uh, controllers put together that can be one 10-pad controller or two five-pad controllers and then each pad has two assignable voltages to it. The the sort of beauty is in the simplicity. That's really all it is. Uh, mm-hmm. But you tie into that, it has sequencers built in. So you can, you can tap in your sequence on the left side or the right side or both sides. Uh, and you have different ways of clocking it and different ways of working it. It becomes very deep, but at the same time, it's very minimal and the idea was even though it's it's digital behind the scenes i wanted it to feel very analog and i wanted it to feel like it was a natural progression of the voltage lab
0: okay that sounds uh, yeah it sounds like a lot of fun and it looks like a lot of fun and i like the idea of not have it just be chromatic um, you know i've i've messed around with some of the the chromatic like modules like the Sputnik and that's it's a lot of fun to use that but it definitely automatically makes me start thinking or, you know, it, it automatically puts me in piano brain or keyboard brain. And that, and that's not usually the brain that I bring to modular. So it sounds like this is kind of, it'll be conducive to that further exploration that, you know, people get into a Eurorack for.
1: Yeah, in, in the Voltage Lab, in, in the Voltage Research Laboratory Synthesizer, the combination of all the, the elements was always supposed to be very West Coast and very experimental. And it just, it felt right to have a controller that didn't push you in any direction it really opened it up and allowed you to program the controller to do whatever you want it to do within the context of the patch
0: right on so the last time you were on we talked a lot about the microvolt and when i first saw this um before i really knew much about it i was wondering if it was um like a modular version or like a beefed up version of the microvolt. Um, how? Like I mean, you just explained how you use different waveforms and you wanted to approach it in a different way, but how much did the microvolt inform that? It seems like there, there, it seems like there's a relationship there. Was one did one maybe like spawn out of the the other, or you know, is there what's what's the link there?
1: Well, the, the way Michael and I work as designers and engineers is, you know you don't start from scratch every time you go to design an instrument you build on what you've worked on previously and the the microvolt was a great foundation to start with um that said not a whole lot is the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, as you start to build these instruments, you kind of say, okay, I want to take this bit from here and this bit from here, and you put it together. But once you have them all together and sort of laid out and you're looking at it, you realize it starts to become its own thing. And you start making changes to every little thing to make it work within the context of itself. So like the MIDI and arpeggiator from the voltage lab is it's essentially the same as the microvolt. But after that, it, it changes dramatically. We started with the same wave folder and that in the, as the microvolt, but even that about halfway through, we said, you know what, that wave folder circuit doesn't really work. We want it to sound a little bit different. We want it to sound a little, a little more natural. Let's, so let's, let's, make a new wave folder circuit. So Michael sat down and he created a new wave folder circuit for the voltage lab that really worked within the context of the voltage lab itself. Um, it, one of the big things of the voltage lab, and with the highlights of sort of the technolo- technological highlights of it is the warp circuit. Um, the warp circuit allows us to fold waves that were previously unfoldable and shape waves that were previously unshapeable. For example we can run like a square wave through it. Typically when you'd run a square wave through a wave folder, you just zero it out because it just sort of folds to ground. Essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, What we can do is run it through a warp circuit. Now change the physical shape of the wave, but maintain the harmonic content and the sound of the waveform so that when it hits that wave folder there's so much to chew on that the wave folder just digs right in you get a huge big beefy folding sound out of it and that works with any sort of high harmonic wave content wave so it works really great with a saw wave but even waveforms like a triangle and a sign you don't get as much of a difference but what you end up with is sort of a b version um, a different sounding version of the wave. So you could think of it like a, an analog wavetable type sound. You get two different versions of the same sound. Okay. And that that circuit was a huge leap forward for us because it, it really takes analog synthesis in a direction that had never gone before. And that circuit allows us to get a lot of the sound out of this voltage lab, um, that wasn't achievable before.
0: So you had this idea of trying to do something that hasn't been done before. Um, when you first, when you heard the first uh, sound that it made, that you felt like you achieved that, like what was that? What was that moment like?
1: Uh, it was unprecedented. I can't describe it. You, you're, <laughs> I was so excited because you have a, you have an idea. Like we had mocked it up as best we could with um, sort of pulling things apart and piecing things together, and we had a sense of what it would sound like. But we, when we got the first uh breadboarded prototype built up and tested the actual circuit that we were going to use. It was like a kick in the chest. It was so <laughs> big and it, it hit us so hard. I smiled for a week. It made me feel so good. Cause I'm like, this is so much better than I thought it was going to be. And yet it sounds so good. Uh, it, it was amazing. It just a wonderful feeling just know, you know, this is an idea and this is something that, you know, we were the only people and we, to have heard this up to that point Uh Uh, because this isn't something that is available anywhere else. It's it's amazing. You sort of, you come up with this idea and you test it and it's it's better than you thought. We have a (laughs) lot of ideas that we try. They end up being a lot worse than you think they're going to be. So it was nice to have this one really, really shape up to be really amazing.
0: That's so cool. I, I just, I love hearing those stories, like just like picturing you guys kind of sitting there and like looking at each other, you know, right before you turn it on and then, you know, having it just like blow your minds like that. That's like, especially for somebody like you who's been doing this for so long, that's got to, Those moments have got to be what really, you know, keep you going. Obviously you're passionate about this stuff, but it is your day job and you've been doing it a really long time. So I imagine stuff like this is just like so invigorating and just keeps that enthusiasm going.
1: It's really amazing. I feel like uh, with, with the Voltage Lab, Michael and I have really, I hate to say hit our stride, but we've, we've sort of figured out what the band sounds like. Um, we, we, we finally, we found the sound that is Michael and I, and that is Pittsburgh modular. And I feel like we've been searching for the last eight years to find that sound and find our direction. Um, we've always had a love of synthesis. We've always had a love of analog, uh, but it took us a long time to find where, where we could push it and what, what made sense to us and how um, it's it's really important to us that at the end of the day, analog synthesis is further along, and mm-hmm. so I f- we feel like we've found our way to now push in unique directions because ultimately you know we're working with we're building on old technology, but it seems like for a long time nothing new really happened. Um, there's a lot of great stuff happening dig- in digital, but it seemed like the side of analog was well look how I can now digitally control this analog circuit was really the main push. We're focused on, well, let's build more analog. Let's make analog more interesting. Let's do more research into analog, sort of pick up where people had left off and push further.
0: Well, I'm excited and happy to hear you say that because I've had a lot of conversations. Um, and you know, I think there's some jaded people out there who are like, I don't know if we you know, like what can we really do from here with analog and, um, these are probably not engineers saying this, but, um, yeah, like uh, being somebody who doesn't really know anything about engineering, you, you know, there's, there's so much stuff that's coming out. That's kind of based off of chips that existed before, or it's like modeled after this, um, you know, and for good reason, cause you know, especially stuff like Buchla and Moog, you know, people, that stuff sounds really good. Um, so it's cool to see people like you guys, like trying to, you know, not just create something that sounds like, oh, this sounds like this. Like, this sounds like just this. Like, there's nothing else out there. That's, that's really awesome. It, it's,
1: it's really an exciting place to be because it, it's, um, it's so fun to have people hear it for the first time. And you can see the smile on their face because they're mm-hmm. expecting that saw wave through a low-pass filter through a VCA sound. And you just don't get that at all it's this sounds alive it sounds like you're hitting a block of wood or it you know they go why wow, i didn't know you could make those types of sounds with analog and they're in there you just got to find so cool. them cool
0: yeah especially like when you when you were saying like you could get something that sounded like guitar bass or or strings like the strings especially is something that's really appealing to me because you know I, every so often you want a nice string sound but i don't want to go just to like a string sample or you know some like I don't know. I'm not really much for modeling stuff. I mean, I know the, the digital stuff's really, really good now. But if I could make my own sound out of an analog machine, that sounded like the strings I was looking for. I feel like I would have such like so much more of a connection to that sound. So, it's,
1: okay. it's, a, it's a fun way to, you know, just like anything else, because it's new. And it's even, you know, I've been playing with it now for quite a while, but it's still even new to me. And you're still digging in and finding new sounds here and there. I was playing with it last night. and I'm like, oh, wait. I didn't know it could do that. And so, (laughs) so it's really nice to still, you still have all those sort of hidden gems in there that you can dig through and, and find these special little spots. It's, it's very fun.
0: So you said like you like to, you know, when people like to show it and see what people's face looks like when they first hear it, what was the, what was the super booth uh, experience? Like how did it go over there?
1: Super, super booth was amazing. Um, it was amazing for me because I had just gotten out of my broken leg boot three mm-hmm. days before I left. Um, it, and it was fun to just see people's faces when they hear this thing because it, it looks like nothing else and it sounds like nothing else. And people, you could see a genuine excitement. We had also launched the Kickstarter of the day that Superbooth started. Um, so there was it seemed like there was a, a buzz about it you know, within our little Superbooth bubble. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it it was a lot of fun to demo and it was a lot of fun to talk about. Um, Typically, you know, after those shows, I'll come home and sort of put the thing away for a week and just sort of zone out. But with that thing, I got back home and immediately I just started playing with it again because I was so (laughs) excited. I was just so energized about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It was very fun.
0: That's got to be cool too to go out there because um, I know the the community is pretty tight and you probably know a bunch of people since you've been around so long and it's it's probably pretty fun to show off stuff like that to people who also are builders because they might understand it. it I, I could see it maybe blowing their minds a little bit more, you know, but maybe not. Is that the case?
1: Oh, absolutely. There's definitely yeah. there's definitely a a um, friendly competition. You know, we have uh-huh. we have our our friends with their companies. And it really is a, a game of one upsmanship. Um, there's not a whole <laughs> lot of, you know, analog companies out there really pushing, but the few that are, um, you know, we're good friends with them and, and it's really great to go to a show like that and be like, Hey, we can fold square waves now. And that's, <laughs> and, and them not have a response, but I know, you know, when we go back to Superbooth this year, they're going to be like, Hey, now we can do this other thing. And I'm like, Oh, Okay, we got to step up our game now. Uh-huh. So it's it, <laughs> in that way, it's it's really fun and it's really exciting to see sort of the people at the top of their game doing really creative, really exciting work at the sort of forefront of the field. The nice thing about Eurorack is we can sort of hyper-focus on very specific aspects of this stuff and take it really far Um In a way that these larger companies can't do because they have to worry about selling huge amounts of units. We only have to, you know, we have to sell a couple hundred and we're, that's all we need to sell. So we can really hyper-focus and say, okay, we're going to make sure this one feature is bonkers. And that's all we're going to do all year is make Mm -hmm. sure this one thing is amazing. And so it allows you to do this really creative stuff.
0: I want to talk about that Kickstarter campaign because I saw you, you'd started it. And then I think I I'd messaged you and um, we were talking for some reason on, on email and uh, I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll promote it um, on next week's episode. And then like a few hours later I looked and it was like already like blown out past the goal. And I was like, well, I guess I don't need to promote it. Now. <laughs> they they kind of did it. Um, so how, like, how fast did you reach your goal and, 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 you know, how much did you overshoot it and what was, what was, I mean, the, the community really showed up. It seems like,
1: yeah, we, I think it was, it was about seven or eight hours before we reached our goal. Um, we were in Berlin, we were at dinner and we reached our goal right as we finished dessert. So we, (laughs) uh, we had a shot of schnapps to celebrate Uh and then moved (laughs) on with our evening. So it was great. Um, and then I can't remember how far out, we got from our goal. Um, at, at that point, it was all sort of gravy, and it it really it it was heartwarming. But at the same time, it became more of a burden than anything else. Like, oh, we're not really geared up to make these many of this th- stuff. Um, so it, <laughs> it, it it was a little little worrisome. But we've sort of pulled everything together, and uh, hopefully, we'll start getting the stuff out the door shortly. We we received a batch of the voltage lab panels. Couple of weeks ago now, uh, I guess about a month ago, and they were all just oh they were terrible. They all had oh. damage in one spot, so we had to sh- ship them back. And they're like oh it'll be another six to eight weeks. I'm like oh okay, I guess oh jeez guess everything's coming late this time. um Yeah. But that, so that was a bummer, well, but the, the community support we've received is, is fantastic, and I can't thank these people enough because this is, this is the most complicated, complex, biggest project we've ever tried to undertake, and we wouldn't have been able to do it any other way other than Kickstarter. Um, so to know that we have a fan base and packers that are willing to put up with this as we sort of get the stuff worked out and get it out the door, is, is, it's heartwarming.
0: Yeah, I was I mean I I I I was grinning all day when I saw that. I was like that is I mean I I knew you guys were going to reach your goal, but to like just totally like surpass it as quickly as you did, it was just like I don't know. I was I was like so excited for you guys and I still am and it's just uh it's such a cool story. Um I love I love, like all the elements. Like you your, your leg, you're feeling better and you create this thing <laughs> that you're, you know, most excited about after, you know, over about sorry the thing you're most excited about that you've created and then this community thing and being able to go to Germany with it and everything, that just sounds like a really, really awesome, uh, turnaround from being in a wheelchair for a while.
1: Yes. Somehow this year has (laughs) turned into a pretty great year because boy, it started poorly, Uh, (laughs) but it's turned, it's turned around pretty nicely. Uh, and now as, uh, the production team has sort of taken over the voltage research lab and, and Michael and I have been, um, opened up to doing some working on the next thing. We're now sitting down and trying to figure out, well, how do we do that again? Yeah. (laughs) And and, and how do we sort of, how do we sort of push it further? Um, So it's, it's been interesting because every, every time we sort of sit down and we talk about it and we start working on stuff, we're like, well, the voltage lab already does that. And it does it really well. (laughs) Why we could just use that one. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I imagine that that's kind of be a double edged sword to create something that you kind of feel is like you're your Mona Lisa or something, you know, like, you know, does that worry you ever like on a personal level? Like, oh, shit. Like, like, this I is the of, this is the best I is, can do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot or anything, but I mean, it's it's got to be something that kind of crosses your mind. I, I think what it is,
1: is it's um it's it's a flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the sand. And um, it, it's it's definitely a milestone that I'm deeply proud of. Uh, you know, this instrument and the SV-1 as well are both instruments that I think represent the time that they were created really well and sort of um, my headspace in synthesis at the time. But, you mm-hmm. know, as like any musician and any artist, you, you're immediately propelled to move on and you're immediately focused on, okay, this was a moment in time, but when we did the voltage lab, that wasn't the only thing we were working on. We had other circuitry that we were Mm -hmm. working on and we had other ideas that maybe didn't work in the voltage lab for one reason or another, but that doesn't mean that we're not excited now to focus on that stuff. Uh, it, it will be a challenge to build on the voltage lab because it is, it is such a unique instrument and it's hard to sort of think beyond it as it's not even out there in the public yet. Um,
0: but it's, you know, it's something that we, you know, we're striving to do. You so. You just said something there, and I want to see if, if I picked up on that. Like, so when you're, when you're creating something as big as the, as the um, you know, like the microvolts, and, and are like you just said, there, there may be things that you can't fit into that Then you can set aside. So how often does something like that become the next thing? Did, did that make sense? I feel like that was poorly worded. Well, when, I, when we sit down, Michael and I sit down, and we kind of design the
1: product, what we end up with is five or six or ten different products. Um, and you sort of through the, over the course of a couple months, you kind of weed out what's not going to work for whatever reason at all. What was a terrible idea? Um, what's a good idea, but doesn't really make sense now, or, Hey, Mm -hmm. let's focus on this for now. And we'll sort of set this other stuff aside. Uh, for instance, when we did the voltage lab, we, um, I know the last time I was on, I, I, sort of mentioned it a little bit. We did a little analog delay module we called the mm-hmm. ADU and it was essentially the analog delay from the voltage lab, but it was a, a little six HP your module never saw the light of day. Cause we were sort of hyper-focused on getting the voltage lab out there. Um, but you know, we did eventually say, okay, you know what? This ADU is really fun because I think we had made eight or ten prototypes or something. And we like, all right, we need to make more of these because they're super fun. So that did go into production. Um, I don't know when they're going to be available. But so things like that um, do exist. And with the ADU as well, we had designed um, – because we wanted to sort of – we wanted to uh, – move past the analog replicator we felt like the analog replicator had been around for five or six years it was a good circuit it was an interesting thing but it was an old module at that point and, and i felt we could do some things that were different maybe more interesting um so we we ended up designing two modules the the adu which is the smaller analog delay unit and then we sort of did a kitchen sink delay which is just bonkers um <laughs> and that was a module that we had got oh I would say we were 95% done with it. And before we had to sort of set it aside to focus on the voltage lab. So just Mm -hmm. a couple months ago, we picked it back up and you know, it had been about a little over a year since we even looked at it. Um, We picked up the prototype. I plugged it in. I'm like, Oh, I forgot how close this was to being finished. So uh-huh. that's another one. We're <laughs> like, okay, let's let's finish this and get it out there. Because it's a it's a really interesting idea and it's a really interesting module. And I think people will dig it. Uh because it's we're trying to do stuff at this point that is different than what what's out there. And you know, there's mm-hmm. there's so much stuff in the Eurorack space now. Um this utility modules and this and that. We're trying, how can we sort of create something a little bit different, a little bit unique just so people see it and people hear about it because otherwise, you know, if you come out with a mixer, no one's gonna no one's gonna notice anyone releasing yeah. a mixer anymore. So we're like, how, mm-hmm. let's let's come up with some ideas there, maybe a little bit more bonkers, um, but fit within the context of this organic synthesis idea that we had. So when we designed the Voltage Lab originally, we had five or six modules along the same lines that we had set aside that we're now going back to and finishing. And maybe some of them were tweaking a little bit. Um, Some of them were simply finishing the prototype and saying, you know what, this was done. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And it's nice. It's nice because I, you know, essentially took the first half of the year off to walk into what I had, you know, six or seven modules that were basically done. So I I feel like I didn't, we didn't lose any time while I was
0: out. Yeah. It sounds like the timing worked out. Like if you, you could have, you know, like, I guess, I guess if it would have happened, like right when you finished a bunch of stuff it you know, that could have been, that could have been useful too. So you didn't have to worry about it. But, um, I'm excited to hear about the, both of those delays. Cause I remember us talking about the delay and I've been, I've been waiting. I'm like, when I, are they going to drop that? And then once you started doing the voltage laboratory stuff, I was like, Oh, I think, I think it's on hold for now. Cause this seems like a pretty big deal. Um See, I'm looking forward to that. Um, What what else was I going to ask you? It was I was going to ask you about the delay, and then um, the filter is the filter uh, in the voltage lab the same as the microvolt? Because I tell everybody that the the microvolt filter is like my favorite filter that I've ever used.
1: Oh no, not at all. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, it's 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 totally different. Um, The the microvolt has our classic Pittsburgh filter, which is a state variable filter that, uh, Michael has really, really tweaked to sound beautiful. And in the context of the microvolt, it was great because we knew the voltages going into it precisely. Um, so we really could dial it in, in that thing. Um, Mm -hmm. and that worked out great in the voltage lab. We decided not to put the state variable filter in all because we were going for a pure West coast vibe. So, Instead of including the state variable filter, we included two of our low-pass gate modules.
0: Oh, cool. Right on. Uh,
1: We call them dynamics controllers. And the reason we call them dynamics controllers instead of low-pass gate modules is that we don't use VACTROLs. Okay. So uh, Michael has engineered around – we essentially engineered an analog clone of a VACTROL using all analog circuitry that allows us to replicate the sound – and responsive of actual, but don't have the burden of, well, every vector is kind of different. Some of them kind of suck. Some of them are too long. If you want a long <laughs> one, you always have a short one. If you want a short one, you have a, always have a long one. Um, mm-hmm. so what we did, Michael sat down and I'll take credit in telling him to do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was another one of those things where I said, Hey, wouldn't it be great if we did this? And he said, he's goes, yeah, that'd be great. You know, that's going to be really hard. <laughs> he said, "There's a reason why people don't haven't done that." I said, "What? Well, mm-hmm. You're pretty. You're pretty smart. I, I think you could probably do it." <laughs> and so he went away, and it took him about six months or so. And, and I got a call really late one night. It's was like, hey, "Hey, Rick, guess guess what? I, I did it, and it's awesome."
2: I'm like,
1: what are you talking about? Because <laughs> yes, you know the low pass gate, the Vactrol. I I I made it. It's it's amazing. I'll show it to you tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, that's that's cool. And it, it's really, really good. Uh, so, what it allows us to do is have a variable response. So, you can have a very short vector, you can have a very long vector, you can dial in the length any way you want. Um, in the voltage, and we've, we've had this circuit in various forms over the last couple of years. Uh, where we've taken it to the next level with the voltage lab is we've redone the filter circuit for it. Um, added a beautiful resonance, and also added voltage control over the resunts. So you can essentially voltage control the vectorial of
0: our low-pass gate circuits. Okay. So, like, the the length of it, then? Yeah. Or just how, okay. Wow. That's pretty cool. Um, and how did, does it respond to, like, envelopes in a, in, like, like, can you, like... Yeah, it, it responds... Uh, sorry, that was a bad question. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had more, but that was it. <laughs> the low-pass gate is going to
1: respond exactly how you expect a low-pass gate to respond. So, you know, depending what mode you're in, you're in VCA mode, filter mode, or low-pass gate mode. It's going to respond to envelopes, you know, a little bit differently based on the mode. The uh, The circuitry in the voltage lab is really tuned towards the filter side of the circuit. The filter circuit is... is um, this the the cutoff is so nice and this the filter circuit so good that it works great as a vca so most of the time and most of the time when i'm playing around with it the filter is the vca that i'm using so if a sound is turning on and off it's just the filter i don't have any vcas in the circuit at all and because it's so dialed in and it's so good at that um that we're able to do that and it's it sounds really really good
0: that's awesome um so we were, when we were talking last time, you, we were, um, we were talking about the microvolt a whole lot. And, um, you, you, you mentioned like how challenging it was, um, or right, or just how different it was because it was not your rack. Um, so it had, it had some new challenges, but it, it was a lot more wide open, right? Didn't you have a lot more freedom to move around and make the circuits bigger, um, did you kind of have to like re like like prepare yourself for getting back into the modular uh you know format, going back into the, the voltage lab? Yeah,
1: Eurorack, I, I have sort of have a love hate relationship with your rack. The the format is so frustrating as a designer because it's not tall enough. It drives me mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> just just give me if I could have another, I don't know, another ten millimeters, it would be <laughs> change my world. <laughs> but it's just not there. So it, it had been, it had been about a year, year and a half since I had done a Eurorack module. So uh, getting back into it. And, and when we did the voltage lab, like I said, we did five or six other things at the same time. So you sort of, you have to get in that headspace again. You have to work within the limitations of your rack. Um, we, when we changed the graphics from, the old life form style to more of the microvolt style graphics, uh, because we mm-hmm. wanted to we wanted to move away from the uh, company that we were using to make our panels, we thought well, for moving away let 's make them totally different because they 're not going to be the same let 's make them really different so that people aren 't going well, this is slightly different, um, so we we ended up making them completely, completely different, but that allowed a little bit more space because the old life forms Um, design language there was about I don't know about 25 millimeters at the top of the panel that I couldn't use really because of the way the graphics worked and everything this one Mm -hmm. I because knowing that I had worked myself into a corner with that old style this one I made it so the graphics I can drive everything to the absolute limits of the PCB <laughs> and squeeze as much room out of it as I can. And it, it definitely made a difference. I, I think, although with the voltage lab, we've reached peak density in your rack. <laughs> I can't design anything more dense, uh, than the voltage lab. It's the circuitry is it's two PCBs behind and it, it's so dense that, um, uh, WMD who's, who's doing the manufacturing even commented um. On the circuit they said they had to order more carts because of the size <laughs> of the circuitry so I think we're, i'm the stuff we 're going from here i 'm going to try to spread it out a little bit yeah. it, it, it does uh, it creates a lot of unnecessary challenges down the road as far as trying to weed out bleed between the traces and you know the engineering side of it gets way more complicated, um, mm-hmm. not to mention you know my fingers aren't getting any smaller so that I can't. <laughs> the, the goal is if I can use it, anyone can use it. And, and the voltage lab is, is definitely peak density.
0: So was uh, 48 HP uh, always kind of the target or was it, were you trying to go smaller and end up having to go bigger or was what, like, cause it seems like a really deliberate choice um, and it's, you know, it's a full, full synthesizer. So you could, even if you had just like 84 HP like tip top, Rig, You could fit the whole thing in there with the controller on one side and, and the, the module on the other. Was that, was that a conscious choice? Yeah. Uh, 48
1: HP was always, from day one, when we decided it. we had a blank 48 HP pallet, And the reason 48 HP was that's what the SV-1 is. And that's what our black box enclosure is. And okay. um, being a company of little means... The idea that we only had to make one-sized black box enclosure was a good thing.
0: Yeah. And I guess my math was off. You couldn't fit them both in the 84 because, uh, yeah, because I'm dumb at math. Um. (laughs) But they do fit fit in 86. Okay. Which... Um, which, yeah, that's, I mean, that's so cool. Cause you can, you know, that you could put that thing in, like a lot of people have six U cases, you could put that thing in your six U case and then just have like a little bit of room for, you know, some of your, your, the effects modules that you like or whatever and, and, and still have a, a full voice. So when you're playing it, can you, you could like, cause you know how to work it pretty well and it has a delay on it. It sounds like, like, could you do a pull, full performance on that thing? Oh, absolutely.
1: Um, you, yeah, I've. I've done, if you've listened to any of my sort of one minute and I've made 50 or 60 of them at this point up Uh on YouTube, if you listen to them, they all sound like single performances and you absolutely Mm -hmm. can perform with just this thing. Um, and that was kind of the idea behind this is I wanted an instrument. I wanted it to be a performance instrument, something that was complete that you felt like this is, I bought everything I need with this. Um, a lot of the people that bought this, they don't have Eurorack, and they, they're not even thinking of this as Eurorack. It's a modular synthesizer
2: mm-hmm. that
1: happens to be the Eurorack format. Uh, but it's always, from day one, it was meant to be, this has to be a complete instrument. Uh, and initially, the idea was, let's complement the SV-1 with a West Coast-style voice. Uh, but from that sort of kernel of an idea, it grew exponentially from there.
0: Well, yeah, and you know, like, I was talking about, you know, you could fit it in your 6U case or whatever, but now that I was just, like, kind of imagining getting it, you know, having it show up in, like, that, like, in its true form, and then I don't think I could bring myself to take it out and put it into a rack, because it it looks so cool. Um, So, I think it, I think one thing that you guys really achieved with it, uh, other than, like, getting new sounds and everything, is it's, it's, for me, something that's very important is I want something to invite me to play it. And that thing definitely looks like it. It's like calling to you, you know?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so important because people that own synthesizers don't own one synthesizer. You know, that's right. not... <laughs> so you kind of, you, you have to earn a place on someone's shelf, but then you have to be appealing enough that they're going to want to use your instrument over their 10 other instruments that they have on the same shelf. Um, and so, you know, it has to be beautiful. As as sort of the designer, it has to be. I have to be drawn to it. Otherwise, I get bored and I don't want to finish it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and this the style case that we came up with for this, um, it was sort of an homage to the synthy a little bit.
0: Mm -hmm. I can see that.
1: And but it it was really it was meant to be. Well, if we're going to have a touch controller, let's let's do a little angle thing and let's just make it cool looking. Originally, it didn't have all the wood on it. It was all steel and but when we got the prototypes it just it felt super cold and it didn't really it didn't really present this idea of organic synthesis that we were trying to go for so we had our woodshop mock up some sides for us and instantly it was like oh there it is it's yeah it really changed how it looked and how it felt as an instrument
0: well, just the wood on the the microvolt is like if that was black right there it would it would just i feel like it would have a totally different personality to me like it, i i don't I, I don't know i'm i'm you know i'm a northwest guy with a with a big beard pretty typical i like i like wood panel stuff so yeah it's uh, i'm I'm happy to see you guys kept with that um yeah, I feel like I'm getting pretty rambly um <laughs> but i'm just yeah I'm so excited for you guys um and when does it come out? Like when is it? When when can people get one? There's probably kind of a line with the the Kickstarter people first, right?
1: Yeah, the Kickstarter people are first. Uh, we have we have dealers have ordered some. Um, like I said before, we'll, we got the panels a couple weeks ago, and they were terrible. We had to send them back. So uh, we're waiting for new panels. And when we get the panels, we're going to start putting them together and get them out the door. At this point, it's more important that they're right than they're ship quickly. So, um right. we're going to take our time. We're going to get them out there, and make sure the Kickstarter people get them first and uh go from there. I don't have a ship date at this point, but I will uh I'll make sure it's, you know, when they're ready, they're ready.
0: Yeah. That's got to be so frustrating to have like such a log jam that's completely out of your power, like having a company screw something up and then be like, "Oh, that just added a month and a half." Like uh, it's nothing you can do with like that's got to kill you.
1: It's killing me because this is the first <laughs> project we've had now, the, these guys have done work for us in the past and they do amazing work. Um but they hired out the screen printing to somebody else and in this case it just it didn't work out. So it's really really frustrating, but at the same time at the end of you know, at the end of the day there's It was out of my hands, and so what I did, you know, I posted a picture on Kickstarter. I'm like, "Hey guys, here, this is what it looks like. We can't ship it to you like this. It's going to be a little bit extra time, and you kind of move, you move forward, and you and you try to uh, try not to let it drag you down too much."
0: Um, Yeah, and I think people who people who got one on Kickstarter, like, of course, they were excited to get the instrument. But they were also doing it because they were fans of yours, you know, and they wanted to support you. So hopefully, you know, that just that the sentiment of the whole, you know, interaction or transaction is is hopefully kind of sweetened with that, you know, that community spirit. Was that was that a little hippie? That was a little hippie, a little hippie,
1: but that's all right. You know, but (laughs) but at the same time, because these are people that are fans of our work and people that are willing to send us a thousand dollars months and months Mm -hmm. in advance, I feel a deep obligation then to honor, you know, their generosity and give them the product that they've paid for. So, um, it's, it's very frustrating on my end, (laughs) especially, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. The guys at the shop are ready. Everything's ready to go. It's just can't go yet. Um, Uh that said, we have, we have some at the shop and, uh, they sound so good. (laughs)
0: Really, well, really you, do good. You, uh, do you feel like uh, maybe showing us what it sounds like with a patch challenge? Oh, patch challenge. Yes. That'll be fun. <laughs> so I got some words for you. I, I generated some. And I feel like this kind of fits. Uh, it randomly popped up, but I think it fits. Uh, influential transmission. Ooh, I like that. Okay. That sounds kind of cool, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So let's see. What, what time are we at? I don't want to... Is there anything else that uh, we haven't covered that you uh, you wanted to uh, get off your chest before we we go into synth mode?
1: No, I feel like we've um, I feel like I've been trying to sell this thing this whole time, uh, which is which is funny because we've <laughs> talked about the Voltage Lab this whole time, and I've been sort of hyping it and selling it and selling it. But the truth of the matter is, they're all sold. There really isn't any yeah. <laughs> left. Um, right. <laughs> so if you if you ordered one you you win and i and i i pr- <laughs> applaud your patience thank you um but you're probably going to be some of the only people to get them because um <laughs> they're just they're j- basically sold out i think we're going to start a a waiting list on our website people can sign up because we don't have any you know we don't want to oversell the run um mm-hmm. but yeah so the people that ordered one Keep getting excited about it. It's absolutely worth getting excited about because it's a really fun instrument. Um, and if you missed out,
0: we'll design something else that's really cool. <laughs> I think also like you know, I think you were you weren't selling it from a salesman point of view. You were you were you were selling it from a you know, in, in, like a point of like just joy and enthusiasm for something that you created. So I I it didn't come across as a sales pitch at all to me. So.
1: Oh no it's like I feel like I'm showing pictures of my kids to people. <laughs> like, oh look at my look at my look at my kid. He just And they're like, yeah you made another synthesizer. Great. Like no but this one's really you know that kind of thing. It's it's been super
0: fun. Uh. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. (laughs) It is I, Abe from AI Synthesis. Baxter (laughs) Kitty and I have hijacked this podcast. I have all the power. I can noodle on my roads or send you secret details, which I will do now. I want to tell you about the AI08 Matrix Mixer, available at AISynthesis.com and other fine retailers. (laughs) feed effects into themselves to create drones. Feed an LFO into itself, making it sound like a robot. And now, a future module modulating itself... A Matrix Mixer facilitates all of these. Go to AISynthesis.com to learn more. <laughs> Thank you, Abe. Before we get back into this chat, I just want to play for you a little patch by one of my Patreon subscribers that goes by Dark Maine, D-A-R-K-M-A-Y-N-E. Now, they made this patch based off of some adjectives and nouns that I gave them. Um, so if you join at the Patch-to-Gram tier on Patreon, um... I will take adjective and noun submissions from you, I'll make a patch, and then I'll record some of it and send it to you, and then tag you on Instagram, and then I'll give you some words, and then you can make a patch, and then I will play it on the show. So let's check out Grave Transcription from Dark Main. stuff. Thank you so much, Main, for participating in this and helping me out every month. If you would like to uh, get in on this adjective noun exchange, go to Patreon.com forward slash Podular Modcast. Also, if you if you are already a uh, subscriber and you have a YouTube channel or an album that you would like to promote, uh, send me an email with uh, download codes and a little bio, and I'll throw you into the uh, the hat, and I'm gonna just randomly pick people out of to do little spotlights on. Um, so yeah, again, thanks for the support, and let's get back into this chat. Um, how'd it go? It
1: was good. Um, you know. I hate to say it it feels like it's it's cheating a little bit because you know <laughs> I know the instrument really well, and it doesn't take me long to come up with anything um mm-hmm. so i I was able to throw something that I thought was interesting in sort of a music concrete sort of idea um together pretty quickly.
0: well, I'm looking forward to hearing it um. How much—I'm always curious how much the—well, uh, you've done it before, so the time aspect. And like you said, you're, you're pretty comfortable with it, so that probably wasn't a huge issue. How much um, did the, the words inform uh, what you are making?
1: Well, to be fair, the only word I could remember was transmission.
0: <laughs> I think it was influential transmission. Okay. Um, in, in that case, <laughs> I definitely
1: used both of those words as I was thinking about it. Uh, but, but I felt— uh, because I could only remember one of the words, um, I, I sort of created a, what I thought was like a conversation um, okay. that uh, you would have in your mind with yourself um, <laughs> that sort of convoluted in
0: and in obtuse in a way. Uh. <laughs> Uh, that sounds fun. I can't wait to hear it. Um, and I, I urge anyone out there listening to, uh, to try out your own 15 minute, uh, what was it now? I forgot the word, uh, something transmission, influential transmission. <laughs> I just had a, um, a listener. He's, he's been doing them, um, for like a couple of months every single week. And he just released like a little album with it. So it's pretty cool. Um, that's super so, cool. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's just a good practice. I've said it before. I think I think it's a good practice to uh, give yourself a time limit and try to use the words to inform what you're doing and get outside your get side, get outside of your head for a second. So it, um, it's
1: it's definitely an interesting way to to go about it because you know I find that I patch this stuff up so often that I I sort of fall into ruts where I'm mm-hmm. like okay I need to create this sound and then mix it with this sound and. And in the end, I have the same thing I had in my previous patch. <laughs> so it, it is nice to say, okay, I, I'm going to do something totally different and just see what happens. Because that's sort of the beauty of modular is it's – I always try to say that the the uh, the goal is the journey. It's sort of – the reason I love this stuff is the process of doing it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a uh, – professional musician. So to me, the time I spend in front of the instrument is the goal, you know, just making weird yeah. sounds and enjoying it is, is what makes me smile.
0: I totally agree. And it's funny. I'm, I'm starting to kind of understand, like I got into modular because I wanted to basically just like create, create my own samples and then cut them up in a DAW and like arrange tracks. And I was just tra- talking with somebody the other day and I don't do that at all. And I think I think it's because of what you just said. It's it's kind of the process that I'm hooked on right now. It's not so much the end goal.
1: Yeah. No. I I, um, I bought an MPC two or three months ago uh-huh. with the idea that I was going to chop this up and make these great drum sounds. And I think I did it once, and then I just loaded <laughs> I, I just loaded like a bunch of Lindrum drum samples into the MPC, and I'm like, well, now it's a Lindrum. drum. <laughs> yeah, because it's not—it's not how I work, you know. I, uh-huh. I to me, it drives me crazy to sort of get bogged down in the production of something. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I have a very limited amount of time that I can enjoy this stuff. So when I do, I just want to use it, and I want to make weird sounds, and I just want to tinker around with it. Um, once I start using start getting in trying to make samples and make them the right lengths and get it into the DAW and make it perfect. I lose interest really, really fast.
0: Yeah. I'm the same way. It's, I, I have, I have a few samplers and I just, I just so rarely use them be- because of that. If I could just like, you know, snap my finger and have my samples on there, I'd probably use them a hell, like a hell of a lot, but it's, that's that process. And it's funny you mentioned the MPC cause I, I just like a month and a half, two months ago, got a DigiTact for that reason. And I just didn't, I just, it just sat in its box. And I was like, well, that's an expensive piece of plastic there. And, (laughs) um, as cool as it is, I just know myself and I'm not going to use it. So I ended up getting rid of it. Like, I think I had it a week and a half or two.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny how, um, some pieces of gear sort of, you're, you're drawn to them and some you think you will be, but when you get it, you're like, yeah, no, that's, I guess that's not for me. I I think everybody's that way. And it, you know, Mm -hmm. fortunately, you know, we can buy and sell this stuff and return it and all that and try it out. And so, you know, it's not too bad, but it is, uh, I get excited about stuff all the time and and it shows up and I try it out. I'm like, Oh, well, I guess. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You see DivKit or Mylar Melodies do like a really cool demo. And all of a sudden you think it's going to be the thing that solves your problems. And then you realize, oh, no, those guys are just both really good at using this stuff. Like,
1: (laughs) Oh, that's another problem, too. Yeah. You you watch these great YouTube videos and you're like, wow, that's awesome. I got to get one of those. And then you get it and you're like, I can't do any of that stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, I just had this same conversation pretty much with, uh, I think it was with Brett Knocky yesterday or yeah, I talked to Brett Knocky and and Dan Green yesterday back to back. So they're kind of meshing into my head, but, um, yeah, it's just, I think there's, there's this like, there's this like weird trajectory that people are on where, uh, they get into modular and then it's almost like a collector's mindset, you know, and it's it's swapping in and out and constantly trading and, and selling and buying. And, and I think after a while, once kind of the, um, that like gear fever breaks. Um, I don't know. I'm, I find myself more interested in trying to do more with less and getting to know the stuff that I have, you know?
1: Oh, I've, I'm a big proponent of more with less. Uh, and that's why the voltage lab is the size that it is. And it's still a complete instrument because it's, it's in, I like little things. I like something that can sit on my lap or something that can sit on my, on my desk here at home. So it's important that it, gives you everything you needed to do in a small space. But uh, all of my modular stuff is the same way at the, you know, at the workshop, we have a, a big modular rig and all that. But at my desk, I just have a small little system that I pretty much use for everything. Unless I have to test something specific in the larger system, I always like to keep it small because I just lose, I lose focus. And I, you end up screwing around and having a blast, but I don't accomplish what I went out to accomplish. So I keep yeah. it small. And for me, typically I, my system on my desk is usually a bunch of prototype stuff that I, I feel like I have to, I have to keep hitting to try to find the problems with it. So I try to stay focused on what I work with. Uh, but I, I, really feel that that's also about my attention span.
0: Um, yeah. You know, if I'm, if I'm
1: going to sit down and play with a, a thing, The Voltage Lab is about as big as it needs to be to fully entertain me for a long time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I'm finding them like, you know, just. You do find the pieces of gear that resonate with you, and yeah, I I just recently got some Rossum stuff, and I'm and I'm like it's really deep, and I want to try to get to know it. So I've been kind of stripping my system down, and because uh, all the stuff that I made before I got into Eurorack Two would get up to like sometimes like forty tracks, you know, it's just it's unmanageable, and, and and a lot of the stuff that I like to listen to is 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 sparse and has air, you know, like I like Eno's ambient stuff and R. Benny and Anne Annie. There's just if you listen to that kind of stuff, it's not too tightly you know it's not dense with too many parts and i don't know i it just it's it just speaks to me more and it's something that i have yet to figure out
1: <laughs> i i think that space it gives you room to breathe when you're listening to it um mm-hmm. i sometimes feel like it's a lot more fun to listen to or a lot more fun to use modular sense than it is to listen to sometimes Uh, Because a lot of times, especially at the shop, you know, because someone's always noodling on something, and usually it sounds really interesting for a couple minutes, and then it'll either, you know, they're either testing something, so it'll just go on and on and on for hours, or it ends up being so dense that you can't, you feel almost suffocated by it. Now, it may sound really interesting for a short period of time, but once that you sort of get past that. You start to feel like I need a breath of air. Sometimes you could just bring mm-hmm. it down for a minute and let me, yeah. let me catch my breath and then you can go back in.
0: <laughs> yeah. I feel that I have this, like the same problem when I try to get together and uh quote unquote jam with my friends, with our modular systems. Like one of my friends, he's just got this enormous case and you know, we get together and, and sync our clocks and then we'll like not talk for a half an hour and just, Thing and then pretty soon we don't know who's making what noise and it's just like this cacophonous like it's like we record an hour of it and like maybe ten minutes of it is cool maybe I don't know
1: <laughs> yeah that seems that seems to be the way when I'm when I'm doing those little one minute videos the nature films it, that all those stemmed from just sort of jamming out with the system and then going back through. And saying, finding the one minute sections that I thought were the most interesting and that worked within themselves. And typically, those were the ones that had a lot of space to them and, and were a little bit more minimal. Uh, and for my purposes, which was to sort of showcase the instrument, that ended up working out really well.
0: And so people can kind of go on your, uh, like, is it mostly on YouTube and Instagram where a lot of these videos are and t- to like kind of get, if they haven't seen them yet, because we've talked about them quite a bit.
1: Yeah, everything was on Instagram and YouTube. Uh, at this point, it's probably easier just to see everything on YouTube because uh, yeah. it's all one place on our YouTube channel. And there's uh, there's got to be fifty or sixty of them up there at this point. The, now, are the last you going to release
0: I... any? Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. Um, are you going to release any of them like uh, as a Bandcamp album or anything like that?
1: I don't think so. When anytime we, I put some stuff up on SoundCloud. I try to put them all up on SoundCloud, but you know, mm-hmm. you forget and you get lazy. And I try to release <laughs> everything sort of as Creative Commons. I figure any audio that we come up with, people can use it for anything they want. I uh, I hashtagged everything soundtrack over the in Instagram and both on YouTube. And I had a bunch of people email me saying, "Hey, do you mind if I use this in my documentary? Or do you mind if I use this for this movie that we're making?" And I thought, yeah, absolutely, that's awesome. And I said, anything you want, just take it and take it, take it. Um, so yeah, if people see something they like, it's it's theirs to do whatever they want with.
0: The, for me and for those who are, yeah, the, it, for those who are opposite of you and I and want to sit there and cut up samples, maybe that could be uh, a cool uh, you know resource to go uh, get some samples to put on your in your morphogene or your tip top one or something.
1: Yeah, the, our SoundCloud page is full of. Uh, Full of great audio that they can pull down and use for anything at all. I every I do hope that people send me examples of what they did with it, um, just because I'm curious to hear what they use it for. But uh, it's theirs.
0: All right on. So you mentioned earlier that if if uh, if you want one and you didn't get it on Kickstarter, the Voltage Lab, like you're you're kind of SOL for the time being, but you you will have a, a you're going to do like a um
1: I think we're going to start a, a a list on our website. So you'll be able to send us an email and get put on the list if you're interested in one. And if we have some towards the end, um, if we have some left, then we will sell them to the list in the order that they were received. Uh, okay. at, at this point, we're still working out the details on doing a second batch. I don't know if there's going to be a second batch of the voltage lab at this point. Um, it, to do something at this scale for us is, is difficult. That's why we went to Kickstarter and did it the first place. Um, so mm-hmm. to do a second batch, I don't know how realistic that's going to be for us. Um, I, I sure hope so. There seems to be a lot of interest in it. Um, and we're doing everything we can to try to make that happen. But at this point right now, if, if, you have, if you've ordered one, you got one. And if you haven't, um, you may
0: I'm sure you'll find one used on reverb at a ridiculous price. <laughs> yeah, so yeah part of me is kind of like you know as a, as a consumer who didn't get one through kickstarter i'm kind of like well i hope they do another run but at the same time you know it could be cool that there's only you know there's just that's how many there are like some of the old bookless stuff and who knows in 20 years you know somebody you know 50 years people that'll be this thing that you know is super sought after and i like i like the idea of like mythologizing something like that
1: it's It's sort of an interesting way to think about it, um, but at the same time how how often do we say to ourselves why can't Roland just make more 808s? <laughs> as as a consumer is it's very frustrating that you can 't get this stuff um, and as you know as a company and as as Pittsburgh major it's frustrating for us that we can't meet the demand for the products that we make, uh, but you know it's sort of the the we're a small business and, and it kind of is what it is. So we make as many as we can and we move on and we do something else.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I guess we'll just kind of see how it goes. And uh, if you, if you're listening and you you, you sound interested, I would, I would keep an eye on the Pittsburgh website and get on that list as soon as it, as it pops up. Um, yeah. I, I really appreciate you spending your time with me today. Um, is there anything that you want to shout from the modular mountaintops before we sign off?
1: No, this was great fun. Um, <laughs> I've got I've got, got nothing really left. It, I feel man. like I've yeah. <laughs> check out our YouTube page. Um, check out our website. I guess uh, there's some interesting things there. You can send me an email, Richard at PittsburghModjor.com. Um, <clears throat> my oh, I do have a I have a question. How it, this is sort of a, a poll question that I've been contemplating. I'll probably Instagram it as well. How important do people think MIDI is in a Eurorack system?
0: That's a very good question. Um, yeah, listener, make sure you, that you email uh, Richard with your answer. If, like personally, I don't. I don't use it. The only time I've ever used MIDI actually was just the other day. I did this um, this thing uh, with my my friends. They have this YouTube channel, like a collective called uh, Monster Planet. And it's this live transmission through YouTube where there's just crazy visuals and there's like five or six of us that just improvise. And so I brought my MicroVolt and that's my only way of getting MIDI into my system. So um, yeah, I had the MicroVolt with me and and linked with them. But other than that, I don't think that I've ever used MIDI with mine. So for me personally, it's not something that, is absolutely necessary but it's also I find myself sometimes wishing I had it. So yeah, it's it's a really good question.
1: Yeah, and I don't I don't know honestly I honestly have been cuz you know we're working on some new stuff and we're trying to figure well does it even need MIDI? There's a lot of times, you know, very rarely do I use the MIDI, but at the same time it doesn't feel to me, it doesn't feel like a finished instrument unless I can plug a keyboard into it and run an arpeggiator. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not I don't know how to play the piano or keyboard at all so i i pick with (laughs) two fingers i'll I'll run arpeggiators a lot but to me i kind of like that um but you know with things like the touch controller and like our micro sequence module that sort of handle that i i'm wondering if there's a need but so i'm curious it's it's a genuine question uh it's not loaded in any way i i just want to know
0: yeah, that's a great question. So make sure you get back at us. I, I'm curious too. So hit me up with your answer, um, and and say not not so much a yes or no. Maybe just like yes and why, you know. And and I don't. I think I think the way you guys did it on the Microvolt is is just about ideal though, because it's a you know you've got the um, the 3.5 millimeter jack that goes to like a, a dongle or whatever you want to call it to, to plug into the MIDI. And I, I think that's pretty cool. And that saves space. I mean, is it easier to engineer that that way?
1: That's what it is. Um, because of the, the design of the, the din connector, you end up having to sort of work around it on the, and it's a pain in the butt a little bit if you're doing everything on one panel. So it was just an easy way to work around that and it, you know, it's a lot smaller in the context of your rack, you know, with the voltage lab or um another instrument like that. It does save quite or you know, like the SV1, it saves a lot of space. Uh it's, you know, you can do it in one jack space and otherwise you need sort of 6 HP to fit that DIN connector.
0: Yeah yeah i just i love having the, the uh, like i said I've only used it once, but i've i've always you know i've kept that that dongle that you sent with it um you know close at hand at all times in case I do need it um, i
1: find i, yeah, I use another- it, <laughs> I find I use it more the uh the microvolt has this too but there's a sort of a it's not it's in the manual so it's not really a secret but there's a an auto Arpeggiator generator, sort of a random arpeggiator generator, that I use that more often than not. Because then you don't even need a keyboard. You could just. There's a lot of times I just want sound for whatever I'm doing. So you could just turn the arpeggiator on, that sort of create the random thing, and it just let it run and run and run. So for that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. I find it useful. But really, that's not even tied to the MIDI so much as that could be its own thing. So I don't know. Right. Yeah, it's not a poll. I'm, I'm not. It's not a poll I'm taking. I'm just if people have an, a. An interesting take on it for whatever reason. Um, I'm curious.
0: Alright, let's check out Influential Transmission by Richard Nickel. was nice and trippy thank you richard for joining us again thanks for that lovely patch um, go to pittsburghmodular.com to learn more about all the stuff that we talked about in this episode get on that waiting list if uh if if you didn't get in on the kickstarter and keep an eye out for those new delays also don't forget about mod bang uh, glow-in-the-dark cables and your rack case covers uh, we got ai synthesis just killing it in the diy game if you want to build some kits that are really intuitive and just a lot of fun go check out aisynthesis.com patchworks.com needhamwoodworks.com and go check out that chainsaw from acid rain technology super fun next week we are going to do another demo of that and we're also going to look at pura ruina from noise engineering another distortion until next week